Welcome to Journey with Purpose, Episode 5. I'm your host, Randy Plummel. Today we speak with Graham Rossmore, a newly graduated expert in parking, whose capstone project in collaboration with the Los Angeles Department of Transportation helped cement the outdoor alfresco dining temporary program into something more permanent. His work found that the revenue generated from outdoor dining far outweighs the revenue generated from car parking. Graham's work also shows we don't need to take up valuable and limited public space to store people's private things. It would be kind of crazy if all of a sudden I started storing my clothes, my books, or other things out in front of my apartment on the street. But we leave things there every day called cars. Before we get to Graham's work, we'd love for you to take a moment and go to our website, jwp.news, and purchase a pamphlet or support the show in any way. We are an independent publisher. Besides your time listening here and good karma, we rely on your financial contributions to keep this thing going. So please purchase some pamphlets, which will get them out of my house and into your hands. And now, here's our interview with Graham whose graduate capstone helped make LA's outdoor dining program permanent. My name is Graham Rossmore, and I'm speaking to you today from Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. I'm a graduate of the UCLA's Alaskan School of Public Affairs, where I work closely with Professor Donald Shoup on various parking policies and projects. In my current position at the Los Angeles Department of Transportation, or LADOT, where I work in the parking meters division, Currently, I'm working on a couple of really cool projects like Code the Curb, which is a project that aims to map all of the curb space in Los Angeles, such as loading zones, uh, red curb spaces, passenger loading zones, etc. I'm also working with them on the LA Express Park program, which is a dynamic pricing model based on demand that actively works to manage the occupancy of parking throughout pilot areas, which right now are downtown LA, Venice, Hollywood and Westwood Village, home of the Bruins. I consider myself from Southern California. I've lived in Los Angeles over half of my life. So I can tell you that I, I didn't always think that parking was very interesting. I thought I would be working in bus or rail or housing affordability or something else to do with urban policies and the things that are affecting cities. What I found in my studies was that I was super drawn to parking and Part of the reason for that is Professor Donald Shoup and how immersive and interactive uh, and charismatic he is and how he really embodies a lot of the institutional knowledge, not just of UCLA, but also of parking reform and how he's been a leader in the parking area for, for decades. And a lot of cities, both nationwide and globally, come to him to seek uh, help with parking in their cities. And I think that right now it's a super timely problem. As you may know, a lot of cities are mulling over ideas to reform parking, whether that's eliminating minimum parking requirements or reducing them or creating parking maximums. As we move forward, this is really a time for parking, and it's, it's really interesting to know where we're going with this. And as we move even into the electrified vehicle space, that parking will become even more integral to our cities. So really a lot of my interests 
started just from seeing how involved parking can be at the city level and how every sort of decision in, in the zoning context really does involve parking. Now that I'm working in this space, I just see endless amounts of opportunities and, and sort of where I could go with this. And I'm just looking forward to my future here on parking now. The High Cost of Free Parking, Donald Shoup's book from 2005. This is something that he has been talking about for a while. That land dedicated to something that spends 90% of its time parked and what he was referring to as, as cars, they spend most of their time parked in it. We as a city, we as a nation dedicate huge amounts of space for something that spends most of its time inactive coming out of the post-World War II era of the 1950s and 1960s, where in Donald Shoup's words, it's become a, a form of religion to urban planners at this point where every land use, whether commercial, residential, industrial, all is a prescribed amount of minimum parking requirements baked in. And so what we see here in Los Angeles, if there's an apartment building that is 200 units and they're supposed to have, say, 150 underground parking spaces to meet the minimum off-street requirements, that adds an additional $5.2 million just in construction costs. One underground parking space can cost anywhere to like $35,000 for one space, which of course the developer then passes on to the consumer. And what we see, especially here in Los Angeles, is extremely high unaffordable rent. So if I have enough money to own a car, I can leave it on the street for a week. But if I don't have any money and I don't have anywhere to sleep, I can't post up on the street the same way that a private vehicle can. So it calls into question, what do we value as a society and why do we do the things that we do? A large number of people who are unhoused sleeping on the streets, we see it as a policy failure or an issue to see people taking up space on the street. But for whatever reason, maybe because we viewed it this way since the 1950s, we allow public land to go towards housing and storing private vehicles. But it really takes having these conversations about it or re-examining our zoning code and our parking requirements which have been around since the uh, middle of last century that we're now starting to see that we don't have the space that we need in the city. And a lot of space could be used for things like housing and parks or recreation centers or places where people can meet and have community interactions and social interactions rather than just having space for parked cars. And something else that we see um, as urban planners is when we create spaces for cars and create infrastructure for cars, that ends up inducing travel demand to basically just be about cars because that's all we've planned for. If people don't have a private automobile, it makes it really inaccessible, makes cities really inaccessible for people who don't have cars. And so that's what we end up seeing here in Los Angeles is lack of accessibility to high paying jobs to certain areas. We're now starting to shift away from that here in this city, as well as other cities across the country and reinvest more money in public transit system and walking in bike lanes and other active modes of transportation and moving away from widening freeways or excess number of parkings. Because what ends up happening is 
you make more space for cars, there's going to be more cars. It's not like you make more space for cars and it makes traffic move better. There just become more cars. Parking plays a critical component in every zoning decision, including affordable housing and homelessness, which is definitely the, the true issue at the moment, especially here in Los Angeles. New York is a great example of public transit system success. And New York City largely is attributed to that success because from its very inception, it's had this very robust public transit system owned and operated by the public government versus here in California and especially in Los Angeles. Our city a hundred years ago had the best streetcar system in the country, let alone the world. And you could get anywhere you wanted to on rail. It wasn't until the boon of the automobile that created more sprawl. And the one important distinction here in Los Angeles, our streetcars were privately owned by developers who were trying to get people from the city centers and downtowns out to these new areas like the San Fernando Valley or Huntington Beach in Orange County in order to get people to buy homes and to have developments outside the city and essentially create the suburbs. That was one important distinction that we really almost invented urban sprawl here in Los Angeles. And in addition to the rail car system that we had that, again, was privately owned, and its purpose essentially was to get people out to the land to buy it and, and, and move them away. It created travel demand in its essence, rather than focusing on making, say, downtown where the jobs are at super dense so that people could walk work and live all in one area. What we did was we formulated our city, putting housing very far away from where commercial activity was. And it's things like the segregated land use where housing here, jobs here, downtown here, it started to lead to increased travel demand. Restrictions in density prohibited residential and commercial in the same area, which further spread the city apart. And then by requiring off-street parking everywhere for every business type, from dog brewer to bars, yes, bars where they serve alcohol and shouldn't have parking to begin with, did this just make the car the dominant travel mode? And I think what we're starting to see here in Los Angeles is by increasing density or focusing density around transit-serving areas or transit stations that we can actually make it so people can get all their needs net, go to where they live, where they work, where they need to shop, etc. What we see here in Los Angeles, especially on our freeways, is that people really do commute from a long ways away. There's cities like Riverside or, or Anaheim that people are driving an hour or two hours or, or taking the train. We do have commuter trains here that'll take you from outside the city into the city. But what we as a city or we as urban planners seem like we're hoping to move away from is that far travel distance. And certainly in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, it has really allowed us to rethink the way that we view commuting and the way that we view employment and whether it's necessary for people to commute into jobs every day. And I think collectively, it's all of these things that are pushing us into the direction of refocusing what our goals are. And for the longest time in urban planning, the measure of success was essentially 
how fast one car can go on a street and that equaled mobility versus now we're focusing on accessibility and what that more or less means is how accessible places like jobs and work centers and residential centers and places where people like to play or go to the park and interact with each other in a much closer, much closer, more dense area. And I think we're starting to move more in the direction of cities like New York or San Francisco that have that density. And I think collectively, all of that's contributing to the, the fact that we're looking at parking different finally. Here in Los Angeles over the past like six months or so, the Livable Communities Initiative, LCI, was able to pass or be involved with our city council in exploring options to have, quote unquote, these 15 minute cities. And I believe that will be piloted in a couple areas, including like Lincoln Heights or somewhere near downtown. And what that means is essentially creating places where a person is able to do everything that they need to within 15 minutes. And I believe that includes within a 15 minute drive. But don't quote me on that because in my perfect world, it would be be able to access everything that you need within a 15 minute walk, whether that's the grocery store, your place of employment, schools, medical centers, friends, religious places, any of that community engagement aspect, it would all be reachable within 15 minutes. The goal there is to certainly cut down on greenhouse gas emissions, cut down on traffic congestion. And I found with my research that people are interacting differently with their community when they have amenities and things available to them. In my opinion, that 15-minute city is just to reorient cities around things that people need to access and how that can improve a person's day-to-day life. Here in the United States, especially, there seems to be an idea that every person in America wants the American dream. And the American dream is two and a half children, a five-bedroom house in the suburbs, and a white picket fence. I think we really need to move away from that idea as a nation, and certainly as urban planners, if we want to realize our actual true goals of greenhouse gas emissions, lowering those, lowering traffic congestion. I think we really need to move forward and promoting density. And what I mean by that is residential up top and on the bottom retail restaurant facing or office building and an incorporation of these different land uses in one area. For those familiar, Wilshire Boulevard here in Los Angeles is the main commercial spine of the city. It connects not only the five main economic centers of Los Angeles, but it also connects the cities of Beverly Hills and Santa Monica to the rest of Los Angeles. And for whatever reason, I I guess bad zoning and, and poor urban planning decisions over the past few decades, most of Wilshire Boulevard is strictly commercial and there's very few residential units on Wilshire Boulevard. In a 15-minute city, that would be mixed use. It would be residential and it would be commercial so that a person would be able to like go from their apartment downstairs to the grocery store and back up versus right now where you have to leave your residentially zoned area, get in your car, drive 20 minutes or 30 minutes to the grocery store in a totally different area because it's zoned exclusively commercial over there. 
and then come back. And I think if you're someone who believes in density, the 15 minute city is for you. And if you're someone who doesn't want to even know who your neighbors are and you want to live on an acre of land in a five bedroom house, then that 15 minute city would, would not be for them. And I think that it comes down to ideals and values and, and city life living is not for everyone. But I certainly think that we as a nation sometimes have a suburban bias where we believe that there should just be free parking everywhere we go because that's what we're used to in the suburbs. And we really need to move away from that because that's just purely not how a city functions. My research, which is titled Dining or Parking, Managing the Curb During COVID-19 and Beyond, that one of my research questions was, how has the Alfresco program impacted parking demand? We were comparing meter revenue and sales tax. But of course, in the research too was, well, how is this actually affecting parking demand? My capstone project was a client-based capstone project, which means that I was working with LADOT, the Department of Transportation here, directly as my client. And so I was liaising back and forth, working on behalf of academia with the UCLA Institute of Transportation Studies. I started working with LADOT last August. LADOT Alfresco Division, which is a separate division. I work in the parking meters division. The separate division, the Alfresco Division, wanted um, a student's help researching an economic analysis of the Alfresco program. And so the Alfresco program is a temporary program here in Los Angeles that was born out of response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And what that means is... It was a temporary program. It was something to address. How do we keep businesses open? And what do we do now that due to health restrictions, businesses couldn't do indoor dining? And the city wanted to see, do we move this into a permanent program or do we just end this? What they were basing that off largely is what was more financially beneficial to the city, the parking meters or the outdoor dining? Before my research, I focused primarily on the curbside on-street dining, which is dining that takes up an on-street metered parking space, essentially dining at a parking meter where a car used to be. These are the outdoor dinings we're all mainly familiar with. It's the most visible component. You see it on the streets. And so I started working with not only my division, where the meter revenue comes from, which are the highest uh, income earning areas. And then also working with the Alfresco division and exploring ways that we can do an economic analysis. What we ended up doing was surveying um, a number of businesses. I ended up narrowing on treatment corridors with high levels of Alfresco from the NoHo Arts District, Larchmont Village, San Pedro, Abbot Kinney, Venice, and of course, Westwood Village. Um, and then I focused this with two control corridors that had low levels of alfresco in Hollywood and Studio City. We ended up selecting businesses in uh, Hollywood and Studio City that had no alfresco participation whatsoever. The metrics that we were using was comparing meter revenue data from 2019 on what all of these uh, parking meters earned prior to the pandemic, prior to the program. And we compared that with revenue generated in 2021 and 2022. What we found was the revenue in 2022 in the treatment corridors with Alfresco generated nearly double the sales tax revenue than they did in 2019 pre-pandemic levels. I ended up authoring revenue impact reports that were shared with the city council and these city agencies, and it informed them on what a potential fee could be to assess 
uh, a permit fee for future on-street dining. And it was a really interesting and complex process. I got to see it all play out. And this is, again, my first time working in government. So it was a lot more complex than I thought it would be. But uh, just really interesting to see the amount of community engagement, public outreach, and interagency collaboration that goes into rolling out a permanent ordinance. I was even able to speak at uh, a couple of the public comments and give some of my research findings, which were that the vast majority of businesses participating in the outdoor dining alfresco program were actually utilizing their off-street private parking lots, transforming those into outdoor dining, as opposed to taking up the two parking meters immediately out front of their business. What my research started to find and indicate was that the majority of businesses and business owners actually had no problem converting their required parking into outdoor dining. And those businesses saw that for the same benefit that one parked car got, you could have eight or 10 people in the same space over the same amount of time, and it generated double the revenue that they were making previously. It was really interesting just to find out that this was something that was beneficial for the city. And then it was really exciting to be involved in working on the permit program that, that does roll out this summer. The goal of the program at UCLA is to have the students work on real world policy. And so it was so exciting for me by the end of my journey there that I actually was working on the real world policy. So it's really exciting. It was really interesting to see the city planning department conducted a few surveys and I conducted a, a survey in order to get response from business owners. And initially, in initial drafts of the permanent alfresco program had a limit that businesses would only be able to convert up to five of their required parking spaces rather than all. For context, the average business in Los Angeles saves a thousand square feet they must have 10 parking spaces, one per 100 square feet. So that would still leave the average business with five parking spaces and five to convert into dining. We heard resounding feedback from business owners saying, no, we want to be able to convert as many or all of our parking spaces because they found that that was more valuable to them. And so I think one of the biggest misconceptions that people have is that parking is a necessary thing and without parking, how are people going to access their business? But the important thing to note is, especially in cities of Los Angeles specifically, we have thousands and thousands of parking spaces. They're just largely in parking structures where you'd have to pay. And so I feel like people have this misconception where, especially drivers, of course, they're, the destination they're going to should have free parking, it should be easily accessible, but that's sort of operating under the driver mentality or that you need a car to reach everything. And one of the important pieces of research that we found, one of our findings was that uh, businesses were reporting new clientele or increased foot traffic that people who lived in the area before who maybe didn't go to the restaurant now were going to it. And whether that was because the on-street dining or the new outdoor dining was enticing to them, or it was just that it was easily accessible. They were seeing new clients, new customer base based on that. And I think that's a really important distinction. One of the takeaways with minimum parking requirements that if we built infrastructure and made cities accessible and focused more on accessibilities, we would 
improve transit systems and improve ways that we move people and goods more efficiently. And it wouldn't be centered around cars. And I think that the COVID-19 pandemic and certainly the Alfresco food program has even just given us the ability to rethink the way that we interact with cities. Of course, prior to COVID, the idea of dining outside sitting up in a parking space out of meter would have just sounded crazy to anyone. And I think it's really been through the pandemic and through this program that we've been able to see that we can totally interact with these spaces differently. That's been the biggest takeaway for a lot of business owners as well. And a lot of businesses that I've found through my professional work with LEDRT, a lot of businesses want parking, but they want metered parking. And what I hear from a lot of business organizations or business owners is something that we know charging for parking is, creates turnover and it creates more accessibility because a lot of free on-street parking, people will leave their car all day and they won't move it. That again provides one very small benefit to one person in one car versus having something like Alfresco where it's repurposed parking or charging for parking that allows Greater accessibility because more people come in and share the same space. People really think that we need parking, and that's the only way that customers are going to access a business. But certainly in the city or in commercial areas where they have neighborhoods or residential areas around them, that they see just as much foot traffic, and they really don't need parking. Businesses asked for by name in the permanent rollout is the ability to convert all of their parking. And so from my findings, echoing that business owners really see the value in converted dining spaces over parking spaces. My key research findings on the Alfresco program found that the Alfresco program was not only successful in keeping more than 80% of businesses open during the pandemic, but it also saw an impressive increase of $12 million in gross sales in the treatment corridors, which again, with the five areas with high levels of Alfresco, what we saw was the parking meters lost around $210,000 annually, but this was more than compensated for with the $12 million increase in sales. We found no perceived impacts to parking demand, both from business owners and customers alike. Off-street parking emerged as the preferred and widely embraced option for outdoor dining at around 52% of all businesses converting their outdoor dining area versus only 3% converting our curbside meters into outdoor dining. My name is Graham Rossmore. I'm in Hollywood, California, here in Los Angeles. I'm a graduate of the UCLA Luskin School of Public Affairs, and I've worked very closely with Donald Shoup on parking policies and reform here in Los Angeles, as well as throughout the country. Thanks, Graham, for your time. I'm really impressed with this work. I think it shows that expertise comes in all flavors and how working with policymakers can help make temporary programs permanent and can materially affect the city in a good way. As you go around town today, if you walk, if you drive, if you scooter, if you bike, look around. Look around at every store, office, home. Know that somewhere there is an Excel file or Google Sheets that has a table which lays out how many parking spaces are required and that those calculations are based on basically nothing. They're made up numbers, 
They were made up a long time ago and have very little connection to our current reality and the way we need to adjust our cities in the time of climate crisis. Cars are beautiful things. I own one. They get me around far and wide. But on a daily basis, having the flexibility and freedom to be car-free is a net positive in our world. The sooner we end parking minimums, the sooner we can imagine harder of what our cities can be. This has been Journey with Purpose. As always, see you on the internet and be well.